Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. <clears throat> Looking tonight at verses 50 through 61. And again, taking our title from the text itself, I've entitled the, the sermon tonight, The Servant Took Rebecca and Went His Way. The Servant Took Rebecca and Went His Way. Genesis chapter 24, starting in verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when, Abram, when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. We see once again worshipping and bowing tied together. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night. And they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least ten. After that she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. And they said, We will call the damsel, and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah, and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah, and said unto her, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gate of those which hate them. And Rebekah arose, and her damsels, and they rode upon the camels, and followed the man. And the servant took Rebekah, and went his way. The very first thing we want to look at is the thing that uh, the, the response that Laban and Bethuel had um, to what we saw last Wednesday, to what the, the, the mission itself that was presented unto them, and their response was, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. <laughs> no matter the motives, we cannot deny that this servant was heard and led of the Lord. Uh, before we take phrases like this out of context and say, indeed, they must be believers, indeed, they must be righteous, indeed, they must have... Uh, the best interest of the elective God in mind, but they're just simply acknowledging what has taken place. Remember the, the servant, and it is unfortunate to break it up like this because now it's removed in our notes from uh, what the servant presented to them, but when he presented the work, he reiterated the whole thing at the well, how he had prayed for this woman to come and how he had prayed that she'd have a servant's heart and how she'd, he had prayed that, uh, that all of these things would line up and before he was done, there she was. There she was coming down the lane. This response is even common today, and it does not always imply that one is a believer. Uh, if you'll consider with me Acts chapter 26, verses 24 through 29, Paul in shackles, Paul a prisoner, presents Christianity. He presents Christ Jesus. He presents his calling. He presents what it is to be a Christian or a born-again believer. And it says in verse 24, And as thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knoweth of these things, and he's speaking of Festus, 
before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Sorry, I made a mistake in my reference there. The king is Agrippa, and he's speaking before Festus here, and, and the king and his sister wife, which we'll get to when we study Acts. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. The servant was on a mission. The story's not about the servant. But it would certainly be good for Laban and Bethuel if they were to consider God's hand in this more than just acknowledging that his hand is in this. It would be good for them to consider that this is a mighty force of the universe that has answered the prayer of Abraham. And yes, it's a prayer of Abraham's servant, but remember the picture here. Abraham's servant at no point in, Acts tw or in Genesis 24 has acted outside of the will of his master. He has prayed for that which Abraham has prayed for. He has prayed that his master be pleased. He has prayed for haste. He's prayed for speed. He's prayed for comfort. He's prayed for delight. But all of these things for his master. With that being said, that the tone of their words seems to imply that though they see this to be the will of the Lord, they illustrate a little bit later in this same text, they don't really want her to be in a hurry to go. Uh, we don't know... What's, what they wanted the 10 days for. Uh, but we've got some references that we'll get to later in which the Lord himself addressed some individuals who wanted just a little bit more time. They were called to follow. They said they'd follow, and they just wanted a little bit more time. This could be because they see but do not believe this gnat. My goodness. It also could be a result of their seeing Abram and Sarai follow the Lord so long ago and never return. Keep in mind, the last time that Bethuel and Laban and all of them had uh, Uncle Abraham around was a long, long time ago, and they've only heard stories since. They went off because the Lord called them to, and they never came back. Maybe that's on their heart. Maybe they're thinking, we'll never see Rebecca again if she goes. It's certainly hard for a family to see their loved ones go, even if it is to follow after the Lord. And with most in the room having been involved in the ministry in one way or another, we know what that's like. The second thing for us to consider, again, comes right out of our text, where we see, the verse, where we see in the verses, when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. I'm just going to eat the gnat here in a minute. I'm just, just going to eat the gnat. I want to note just a couple of things from, from what we see here. When the faithful servant responded after the consent of her father and brother, he didn't wait to bow himself and worship the Lord after he heard Rebecca wanted to go. This is what I want you to note is when he responded, and it was after the father and the brother uh, gave their consent. Note again how faithful the servant was to their response. He didn't worship Bethuel and Laban. He didn't turn to Rebekah and worship her. He didn't turn to her mother and worship her. He worshiped God. Because again, this story is not about Bethuel, Laban, the faithful servant, or even Rebekah. Yes, this is the chapter where she's brought to Isaac, but it's not about her. It's way more about the types here than anything else. 
And that's why we see the significant preeminence of God in this chapter for this faithful servant. The very first thing he does is worship God. Bow down to God. Again, if we go back to uh, he, him being spun up to giddiness, as we talked about before, think of his situation here. God is so good. I came to the strange land I've never been to with a strange request from my master, and I've prayed to God the Father that he would bring a wife this exact description, and maybe it's a little pushy to have so many details involved, but before I finished, there she was. And many of us today would say, where's that other shoe, Right? waiting for the shoe to drop. There's no way this is going to work out this well. And yet it does. And the faithful servant bows and worships God, which is what we should do. Look outside that door. There's no reason for anything to work out here in this valley of death. But when it does, we shouldn't hesitate to give God the glory. Praise the Lord we made it to church tonight. Some of our brethren are otherwise inhibited. I don't say that to poke fun at them. I say that because it's sincere. They want to be here. Do we? Also note in what manner the faithful servant responded, which again points back to what worship truly is. He bowed to the earth in reverence to God. This is clearly God's will, and that actually was true, what Laban and Bethuel said. This thing proceedeth from the Lord. Who can say that it's a bad thing and a good thing? And to put it into 2022 American terms, what would it matter if I were to say it's a good thing and Steve were to say it's a bad thing or vice versa? If it's the will of the Lord, we have no say in that. We are to follow. We are to be faithful. We are also to bow down and worship God. This is your will. Praise the Lord. You made it so clear. In the very next verse, we see him honor the family, honor Rebekah with gifts and trinkets and all these things, but first, he honors God. And I'm not going to go back to those verses, but as we saw uh, a week or so ago with Jacob, he didn't do the same. The first thing he did was shove the stone off the well before it was time and kiss the girl, right? Like it was the little mermaid or something, and all the creatures were singing to do it. He followed instinct. He followed lust. He followed his heart, if you want to call it that, but he didn't follow the Lord. He was even more faithful to following his mother's words than he was to following and honoring God. From what the servant brought from his master Abraham, he honors Rebekah. This was the intent to the gifts that were brought. And something really interesting for us to consider there is all the mansions that have been prepared, the streets as gold, and so on and so forth, everything we know of heaven, everything we know of life after this. If you're born again, it is yours. It was literally provided for your everlasting joy. That's something I think we lose in this life as we get bogged down with the grief and despair and all the bills and all the to-dos and all the things that the promises of this world, word, including what I love in John 16, about how he's overcome the world, that's a promise to us. And it's a promise that's fresh and real and in front of us right now. As we've said last Wednesday, they can't steal your joy. They can't steal your delight in these things that have been promised unto you. And it's not a mere, if it lasts long enough, and it's not a mirror if it's not used up before you get here. You're joint heirs with Christ. You're more than conquerors. It's already yours. 
That's something to rejoice in. These things that he brought, boy, it would have been a shame for him to mount up and leave. I bet Laban would have shed a tear or two. But they weren't brought to be taken back. They were brought to be bestowed. The gifts that we have in this life, the gifts that the faithful servant represents as a type of the Holy Spirit, the gifts that the Holy Spirit has bestowed upon us are to be used. They are to be exercised. We're not getting into Holy Roller and a bunch of tongue speaking or anything crazy like that. But we do have gifts in this life. We do have pleasures in this life. And praise the Lord for it. The bride of a prince must be provided with new clothing and adornments furnished by the father of the prince. This was uh, what tradition would have said. Similarly, the one who is to be the, the bride of Christ can no longer be dressed in filthy rags of his own, of his own so-called righteousness. He must be readorned. What we see there in Corinthians is it talks about putting off this and putting on that, and that's a lesson for a future uh, sermon. But understand, we, we must put off these filthy rags. They're useless to us. They're vain. They're empty. We must be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. Listen to Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Listen to Revelation 19, verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Praise the Lord. The third thing for us to consider, also coming right out of our text, that the fourth point, the only other point I have left, also comes from the text, where it says, And they did eat and drank, and he and the men that were with him, and tarried all night, and they rose up in the morning, and he said, Send me away unto my master. The question or business revealed that we looked at last Wednesday, now the answer received, God now praised, family now honored. Now it was time to eat and rejoice in the goodness of God. Remember, they were urging him to go ahead and do that first. Let's celebrate. You know, I don't know too many Baptist fellowships I've ever been to where we eat first. We preach first. I've been to plenty where they give you the love offering before you preach, which is probably pretty risky too. But we never eat first. How many would leave if we ate first at, a, at a one of our meetings? If we're going to have the, the steaks for Chris and the chicken and the seafood for the rest of us, but we have that for breakfast and then we preach, well, you'd be passing out through most of the services. Or you'd be at home and you're lazy boy watching the college football games. The servant and all who were with the caravan ate and tarried. Do we remember our seasons of such joy in which we ate and tarried in the blessings of God? Where are they tarrying? Well, just like we said last Wednesday, they're in the will of God. This is the same reason the faithful servant bowed and worshipped. I'm still in the will of God. Praise the Lord. They ate and tarried right there in the will of God. And with the same haste we saw at the beginning, we now see, hey, send me back to my master. That he will eat and tarry. That he will rejoice of the good news and the good tidings. The morning has come. The sun has set upon their eating and rejoicing here in the strange land. And now it's time to remove ourselves back to the promised land and back to our master. He didn't simply flee away and scurry into the dark. 
but he asked to be absent. Notice again, the, the traditions of Abraham and his, and, his, and his open dealings, his honest dealings that were happening uh, over yonder on the other side of Mount Moriah is still resonant with the servant. He'd seen his master handle business this way. He didn't scurry off. He showed respect to his hosts. Send me away. Please send me away that I might go back to my master. And though he honored them, their response was not as respectful. Again, looking to our text, her brother and her mother, uh, Bethuel's bowed back out at this point. Uh, Dr. Henry Morris speculates that maybe he was of an age in which his health wasn't great. Uh, I'm not going to add what we don't see here, but certainly that would be possible. Well, here we just see Laban and her mother, and Rebecca's mother, so her brother and her mother. And they respond, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least, at the least ten. After that she shall go. And he said unto them, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. He's one of them annoying Christians, isn't he? He just keeps bringing up God. This is God's will. This is God's will. So happy. This is what God wanted. He is a role model for us, is he not? He's in a strange land. We, we'd hesitate to go to Fulton and give the gospel because they don't know us. Well, some of you, they do, but they wouldn't know my family over in Guntown. Maybe, maybe we should use a different city as an example. But you understand what I'm saying? Nobody knew this servant. We don't even know this servant. We have no name. But he doesn't hesitate to keep giving God the glory. God hath prospered my way, and my way is my master's way. The two are one. His longing to leave was to complete the mission and see his master pleased. And their reason to hinder is very similar to what we have discussed and will soon cover in more detail of Laban a bit later in life, is it not? Did he not also prosper later when he held Jacob up? Give me some more time. You want both daughters, it's going to cost you double time. Let it not be so with us. Turn over to Luke 9. I want you to consider this same type of hesitation. The same holding back from the Lord that we should be very, very careful about. We should identify and repent if it's in our lives. Luke 9, starting in verse 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Oh, what an offer. This man's not, not bothered to go to Samaria, not bothered to go to Galilee, to Jerusalem, wherever the Lord goes, he wants to go to, whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And we never hear from that first gentleman again. Demas, at least, we have a name. This one, we don't. Jesus says to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. So we see our second individual in this text. Let, let the damsel stay ten days. What will it hurt? You find the dead burying the dead, as Esther almost did, blending in with the Persians, as God's people will be freed. They will be redeemed. They will be delivered. And then we see a third. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my house. There ought not be any buts in our response to the Lord Jesus. But God says go. God says preach. God says witness. God says sing. God says write. God says pray. God says commit thyself. Follow after me. Deny yourself. 
Bear your cross. God says, I am the truth, the life, and the way. Our, our response should not be, wherein? But how could I? Malachi, Luke 9, Moses, those are the references I just made there. How can I speak with my dumb tongue? How can I pronounce such things, such utterances? Jesus said unto him, No man, none. That means everybody for all time, before this moment and after, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. None. None serve the way they should. It's not our first instinct to follow after righteousness. Man prefers darkness rather than light. If we are called to go, to work, to tell, to sing, let us do so immediately. Before the old man has an opportunity to give all of his reasons to not do it, let us do so immediately. I wish I could tell you how often the Lord has impressed upon me for one reason or one method or another to pray over something. And I've got to have all the reasons first. Well, why, Father? How much should I pray for? How long should I pray for? How urgent is this request? Should I tell everybody else first? I should just do it. I should put the old man to silence by my faithfulness, by my humility to do what my master has asked me to do without knowing why, without questioning. Delay tends to always provide the flesh time to squirm out of the burden that it had been placed under. I don't have to give you a whole lot of examples. Every TV show, if the hero's given enough time, gets out of the zip tie, gets out of the handcuffs, frees himself, and takes out the villain. Joker, Riddler, James Bond's villains, if they just took care of it right away, they wouldn't have had time, would they? But it's been illustrated for us for years, and it's absolutely true. If given enough time, we will squirm free. What was it that Paul prayed for again? That we would be all convinced, all the way convinced, all that heard the gospel preached would be absolutely saved and faithful in serving after their Lord. Oh, how much trial, how much trouble, how much affliction is necessary for God's children to be faithful unto him. How often he has to step on the grapes to get the juice. How often we have to be mightily pressured to go out and actually deliver the gospel. Reasons for rethinking, even time for vexing, should not be allowed, beloved. We are his to command. Think of the faithful servant. What was the example set for him? Let's Let's just assume for a moment, and it might not have been so, that maybe this servant was either there when the other servants left with Abraham and Isaac to go to Mount Moriah, or maybe he was one of them. It's not likely based on the terminology used there, but maybe he was one of them. What did his master Abraham do at the beginning of Genesis 22? He rose up early. He prepared everything. If God said leave at 8 a.m., Abraham was up at 6, making sure everything was available, so the caravan left at 8 a.m., that's how we should be. We don't do things as if for man. We do things as for a holy God. A holy God that commands that we be holy for he is holy. There's no other reason for our holiness yet that he is holy. We need no other explanation. We need no other reason except that he commands that we be holy for he is holy. 
Do we strive after him? 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1-10 through 10 says, We then as workers together with him, Paul writing, Beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Oh, that is a precious verse. You ought to mark that if you haven't already. Uh, I, I tend to paraphrase it as casting a shadow upon the gospel. That my attitude, my actions, my words, uh, my reputation should not cast a shadow on the gospel that I've been charged to share. Does that mean I have to be perfect? Well, that's impossible. But I have to give the glory to God so the spotlight stays on the gospel. That it not cast on me first, putting a shadow upon the most important charge I have. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience and afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings. And by now, those Corinthians are probably thinking, he hasn't touched mine yet. He keeps going. By pureness, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left by honor and dishonor by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true as unknown and yet well known as dying and behold we live as chastened and not killed as sorrowful yet always rejoicing as poor yet making many rich as having nothing and then how does it finish beloved and yet possessing all things those promises you, if you are born again, if your calling and election are sure, you already possess those things. Do we have the faith that goes with it? I wonder, as, as I read through this text from 2 Corinthians 6, how the family expected Rebecca to respond. Calling her a damsel all of a sudden in our text, they say, let's ask her what she'd like to do. Maybe Big Brother is saying she's going to, she can remember them beatings I gave her when we were younger. She's going to side with me. Maybe mom is saying, she'll never leave my side. She'll wait. As long as I will allow her to stay, she'll stay. I don't know. I don't know what they expected her to say, but that wasn't what she said. And the reason I speculate the way I do as to what their expectations were is because what we're picturing here. She's called. The Holy Spirit is sent. The Holy Spirit is bringing her to a place she's never been to live a life she's never lived. There's reason to believe she's changing. There's reason to believe something is effectually working on her. And her answer is, I will go. Who will go for me? The Lord says. He says that to you even this night. Whom shall go for me? Rebecca says, I will go. She didn't know what the promised land was going to be like. She'd never met Isaac. He might have been big and ugly. He might have stunk real bad. Might have had some deformities. Maybe they heard about Mount Moriah. I don't know. She had no idea what she was getting into, but she says, I will go. I will go. Does that still happen today? Well, two years ago, y'all asked me if I would come, and I said, I will go. It still happens today. I don't say that to brag. I say that because we have faith in the Lord Jesus that when he says, will you go, or when he says, follow me, or when he says, come, we arise and go, and we do it post-haste. 
our fourth and final point right out of the text. They called Rebecca and said unto her, Wilt thou go with this man? And she says, I will go. Can't help but admire her decision. And I use the term loosely because folks will see that as a type as well these days. I will go. This is an act of faith. I will go. Probably not an easy one. This this overly zealous, faithful servant that stands before them, he clearly believes in God. He clearly honors his master. Maybe it softened her heart because of the witness that was presented to her, who's so fervent, who's so loving, who's so passionate. Do we witness this way? This is one of the reasons I, I don't preach a whole lot against Arminianism and against this and against that. One is the old adage that, you know, the FBI teaches what a dollar bill really looks like instead of all the counterfeits. But two, because I don't see that as a good way of telling folks how to be saved. Don't listen to that guy across the street. I didn't get here because I didn't listen to the guy across the street. I got here by the grace of God. Not listening to the guy across the street is works. It's me not doing something, which is the same as me doing something to be saved. We were brought to the truth. We have to be confident in our witnessing and passionate in our witnessing and emotional in our witnessing. If we're truly saved, that shouldn't be hard to do. She was changed here, beloved, from being a servant to being a bride. That's very different. From the loneliness of the world to the joy of love and companionship, from her poverty into Isaac's wealth. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, Whom having not seen ye love, and whom thou in whom though now ye see him not yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, just as the song says. Did she see all of Isaac's wealth? Of course not. That would have been impossible. Did she know all about him? No. She may have known legends of her father, or of his father, but she's only heard now what the Spirit has presented. And we've seen in this study that what the Spirit has presented, this faithful servant has presented, is only of the Father, is only of the Master. Similarly with lost sinners today, when they are shown the great kindness of mercy from an all-holy all God, they cannot rightfully expect but to only experience more kindness to follow. Well, as we close this section of this chapter, the last we, I just want to remind you, the last we saw of Isaac, as far as the record was concerned, was on Mount Moriah. In Genesis 22, verse 19, mentions Abraham alone. Isaac is a picture of our Lord who went to Calvary to die for us, then returned to heaven to wait for his bride. And in chapter 24 that we've been reading through, the servant, which pictures the Holy Spirit, went forth to seek the bride. See, these, these types are probably the most clear types we have in the whole Bible. Then when the bride approached, Isaac appeared to receive her, which we're going to see here shortly. What a scene it will be. And the opening ceremony, the rapture of the elect, it may take place today. This great event that's being pictured in our lesson, Genesis 24, may begin tonight. The rapture as we go home, being the beginning opening ceremony of the greatest marriage that the entire universe has ever seen. 
What a glorious thing. Just as it was even tied when they met, so it will be dark in this world when Christ returns for his bride. He's coming, beloved. Repent and believe. He's coming. The kingdom of heaven is very much at hand.